Okay, so if you're tuning in to hear the show that was in the promos, I, it's my sad. What happened to the music? It just went away. Okay. Is everything else okay, though? It was like, yeah, the universe is still essentially intact. It's just the music went away. Um, okay, I just was worried that there could be like, you know, sunstorms or something. The whole top, whole power grid went down. It seems like we're okay. Okay, so it was just the music. If you're just tuning in to hear the show that was in the promo, I have bad news for you. We're not doing that show. In fact, I think it's fair to say that this particular episode went through several different transmogrifications before it became what it is. Um, and as usual, I have tried the extensive patience of senior producer Betsy Kaplan. Uh, but ultimately, I think we both wound up agreeing that what we need right now is not to give you more news about what's going on. We already have quite a bit of news about what's going on. Um, but to give you a chance to discuss what's going on and to and for a chance to talk very specifically about the nature of moral reflection in public life. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. And then I should say there's no guests. We're just going to do phone calls. So I'm looking at this Brett Kavanaugh situation. And once again, I'm assuming that most of you know what has happened. I'm assuming that all of you know what has happened, which is that a woman has come forward and described an incident which took place roughly 35 years ago uh, when she was in high school. He was in high school. Uh, he and a friend drunkenly took advantage of a situation where they could uh, trap her in a bedroom. Uh, and uh, he, uh, according to her, uh, attempted to uh, sexually assault her. I, I, oh, I think it's fair to say he did sexually assault her. He may have been attempting to rape her. It seems that he was trying to get her clothes off. Uh, when she tried to scream, he clamped his hand over his mouth, etc. cetera. Uh, this, uh, a letter about this has been in existence for a while, I think since uh, the end of July. Uh, Diane Feinstein had it at one point. The FBI eventually got it. They eventually transmitted it in redacted form to the White House, where it became part of Brett Kavanaugh's um, nomination file. And, and so and since then, she has come forward. She has uh, divulged her name. She's talked about the fact that uh, she took a polygraph test with a former FBI uh, agent at the suggestion of her lawyer, and then she passed it. Um, and so we're kind of at this odd juncture uh, where we're going to have to figure out what this means. I mean, there's going to be two parts, right? To what degree is it possible to completely believe her story and how many people who are relevant to this decision-making process decide that they do believe her story? That's like one half of it. And the other half of it is What's the consequence of it? In other words, assuming the story is true, what what do we then decide? Now, here's the part that I really want you to think about today. I mean, I know some of you you're going to want to call up and just debate the specifics of this, and that's probably probably inevitable, and so be it. But there's like another place I'm hoping you, that you'll go, uh, and I'm going to tell you that before I give out the phone number, um, and that's this. I, I I tried to explain this on Facebook, which is always a disaster. Facebook is like the worst place to try to explain anything complicated. But I, I tried to explain this over the weekend on Facebook. One of the things that I would say is that somehow or other, if we ever had a kind of moral consensus uh, that would allow us to look at cases, you know, whether it's some of the recent Me Too cases or this Kavanaugh thing or or, you know, any of the stuff that comes up that involves morality, things that are fundamentally wrong or maybe are not fundamentally wrong. If we ever had any kind of bipartisan consensus about it, it's gone. You know that most of these things are looked at first in terms of whether they advantage or disadvantage the side that you're on. And that seems to be more important to people than almost anything else. And it's rare uh, 
I mean, uh, some of the Me Too stuff, for good or ill, uh, are, are sometimes offered a rare glimpse of what it would be like to set aside partisan considerations and decide, well, no, this is wrong. Now, I would argue that that's what, <laughs> that's what happened to Al Franken and that he was uh, prematurely kicked out of the Senate uh, because people set aside their partisan considerations and then I think kind of jumped the gun a little bit. But that's, I think, neither here nor there. What I'm saying is... All of us, all, almost all of us who have any kind of partisan interests on either side are complicit in the wreckage of our ability to think morally. Anything approaching a, a pure moral consideration about a situation like the Kavanaugh one. Now, let me just back up and say there are societies where they do this very well, where there's a strong moral consensus about almost any situation. Uh, now, many of those societies are hell to live in. You know, I mean, Iran under the mullahs, you know, under Khomeini, there were not a lot of doubts <laughs> about what the moral code was and what to do about it. Or you could say Saudi Arabia right now. You know, I mean, that's not necessarily an ideal thing to have a moral consensus. If that moral consensus is hopelessly narrow minded and punitive and misogynistic and, you know, I mean, so just having a moral consensus is not necessarily in itself a good thing. But I think also we're kind of on the other end of the tube, right? We have no moral consensus. And whatever ideas we have about morality are, I would argue, permanently stained and tinctured by our political concerns. And I do think we both broke the process. I mean, on the Democratic side, I think I've been listening to the second season of Slow Burn, which is at the, about the Clinton, Lewinsky, Whitewater, Star mess. And I'm reminded afresh of, you know, the way women were treated uh, in this story. Uh, you may know there's a movie version out about Chappaquiddick, which most of us who lean Democrat, you know, we just sort of ignored that story. Ted Kennedy became the lion of the Senate. There was also right around that time. Uh, or a little bit later than, than Chappaquiddick, but uh, a story about a story in GQ about Ted Kennedy and Chris Dodd rampaging through uh, Washington restaurants and pulling waitresses and women onto their laps and rubbing up against them in ways that had not really been solicited. And I mean, we, we, but you know, the boys will be boys. <laughs> That's kind of what we did with all that because they were our boys. And then on the Republican side, they're just as bad. You know, at the time they were going after Clinton. I mean, Newt Gingrich was having an affair, had had an affair with an intern of all things. He wound up marrying her. So slightly different arc there. But uh, and Henry Hyde, uh, adultery problems. Um, certainly we've been through Roy Moore recently. Uh, Roy Moore, that is, recently. Um, and of course, there's Donald Trump himself. There's the Clarence Thomas case. Now, the Clarence Thomas case is interesting, too, because that might be a case. There's another moral layer there, which is that a bunch of men from both parties decided ultimately not to give full credence to Anita Hill. So in that case, uh, chromosomes trumped party. So that's how I want to set this up anyway. And feel free to push back at me. I mean, when I brought this up on Facebook, it turns out that A, nobody wanted to even think about what I was arguing. All anybody wanted to do, and they did it from both sides of the political spectrum, is to talk about how so completely disgusting the other side is. Uh, and and uh, in the case of people who were conservative, how Kavanaugh's getting a raw deal. In the case of liberals, how Kavanaugh 
you know, can't possibly serve on the Supreme Court, which wasn't even the thing that I brought up. I mean, I was trying to use Kavanaugh as a way of talking about that way that that our failure to have consensus. Let me just uh, give out the phone number and then I'll come back to that failure to have consensus thing. 860-275-7266. Love to hear from you about this. Like, Do we have a strong enough embedded Kantian uh, permanent kind of capacity for moral reckoning so that we could look at something like the Kavanaugh thing and say, okay, so here, here's the basic fact pattern that we're aware of. So, and here's what we know as a society we think about this. Here's what this kind of thing means in our society. I would argue we don't. We have at least two completely separate versions of here's what this thing would mean in our society. Uh, the number again, 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. But, I mean, you can kind of decide to parse this uh, any way that you want. Um, so uh, while we're w- waiting to see uh, who calls in, I'll just sort of go on about this a-, a little bit more. Because I think we're about to embark on an extraordinary conversation. It's a conversation that versions of which we have had before. Um, but anytime we have it, it's extraordinary. We are going to, I mean, it seems inevitable now. Uh, that this the woman who is uh, accusing uh, Kavanaugh is going to come in and testify before a congressional committee. I mean, she made something else maybe worked out, phone testimony, pre-videoed testimony. But my guess is that they're both going to wind up testing, testifying in front of live committee members. Um, and, and once again, we are going to be asked— And they, the members of Congress, specifically are going to be asked, okay, how is it that we think about these things? And as I say, it'll be broken into two parts. One of them will be, you know, so much time having passed uh, and the offense itself being committed by such a young person, if it was committed, if we decided, you know, I mean, do we trust memories? Do we trust the accounts? Do do we can we have some kind of consensus that this actually happened? Probably not. Uh, But to whatever extent we do have consensus, do we agree about what that means? I mean, it could mean, A, such a person could never be on the Supreme Court. You know, the fact that he did this, never talked about it for the rest of his life, um, he could never be on the Supreme Court. Or does it mean this offense, even if it exists in the full flowering of its telling, uh, is not enough to disqualify somebody from the Supreme Court. It's too old. He was too young. Uh, it's too murky a story. Um, so, uh, but my lar- so I think we're about to have an extraordinary conversation. And if you're interested in this kind of thing, it will be very interesting to watch. But underlying that is my suspicion that we, all of us, broke the thing that you use. We broke the yardstick <laughs> that you use to measure these things. We, we made it completely about whose ox is being gored, which side benefits the most from certain kinds of outcomes, you know, that we just kind of don't really have that ability anymore. And, and it could be the case that we never had. It could be the case that this is just always how we in this society have felt free to parse moral questions. All right. So the number, we got a lot of people calling in, 860-275-7266. You want to get on the air? You got to get past Betsy Kaplan uh, and 
That may not be that easy. She's very exacting. Betsy Kaplan, by the way, is a person of moral rectitude, and she is a person whom I would trust to make a rel- relatively nonpartisan decision about things like this. But I don't know very many people I would say that about. Um, all right, here's uh, Jackie in Farmington. Jackie, you're going to get us Hi, started. Colin. Hi, Jackie. Go ahead. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Good. Um, I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And but I, I'm. I'd like to think I'm nonpartisan. Okay. I don't. I think if there were other people that he has done the same thing to, then mm. that would make leave a trail of proof. Right. I'm not. I'm not saying that she isn't telling the truth. Mm. I think the reason we have laws that have limits. Unless you murder someone, is that I don't think it's fair. I think one thing, and he was drunk and he was a kid, that doesn't mean it should ruin his whole life. And I'm not in favor of him as a justice, yeah. but I don't think it's fair. Okay, so this is really interesting. Let me just stay with you for a second on this, uh, too, Jackie. I mean, I think you and I are kind of in a similar place, although I might even be even more agnostic uh, than you are. But um, so for you, I'm just just kind of interested in summarizing. For you, so let's agree about one thing. I think I hope everybody in America could agree that no prosecutor would take this case now. I mean, whether the statute of limitations was in force or not, no prosecutor would take this case. No prosecutor is going to go after a 35-year-old case involving teenagers where the outcome was that a third teenager jumped on the bed and everybody fell on the floor and the woman ran away. And there's just, there's not enough to, you couldn't get a prosecutor to go after a defendant like that no matter who he was. We'll start there. So, yep. so then That's the next question, yeah. So then the next question we ask, though, is, well, this isn't that, right? This is a whole other thing. This is a person who's going to serve on the Supreme Court, presumably for the remainder of his life. Uh, so, does this undermine our sense of his necessary moral baseline to be able to function in such an important role in our society? And and what you're saying, and what I I, I I'm inclined to think you might be right about this, but I, I, the debate's going to unfold is. Well, it's just sort of not enough. You don't know enough. It's too old. He was too young. There isn't a, a, a confirmation pattern, you know, if people are really yep. g- completely depraved and predatory. They tend not to do this once and then stop. Um, yep. So, yeah. Um, so those are good ways of looking at it anyway, I think. I, I agree with you. And, yeah. and I think I'm going to say that when you're a kid, you we all do stupid things. I mean, I'm not, I feel terrible for that woman. And I, I mean, in a lot of ways, a lot of, a lot of us have been in positions we weren't happy about, mm-hmm. but I'm, and I'm sure she, when he got nominated, she called because this happened to her. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, I don't think people should be, I don't know. I just don't think without any other evidence that this should count against him. Other things, maybe. Fair is fair. I mean, hmm. God help us all if we had to be judged for what we did as teenagers. Right. So let me <laughs> let me try let me try one more thing out on you, just because you okay. obviously have a very interesting, reflective mind, and I, I'm not Thank you. I, I'm not making any particular argument here. I'm just sort of giving you an argument that you'll probably hear at yeah. some point over the course of the next forty eight hours. Okay. So yeah. it's. Um, the argument we go, well, it wasn't just a stupid thing. It was a really bad thing. And there's lots of people who could be on the Supreme Court. Go get me somebody who didn't do something like this. What would you say? I'd say I think a really good litmus test for this 
would be to ask the other justices. Mm -hmm. That's where I think we should be going with this, the next step. Not that it would matter to anybody. (laughs) You know, it's not going to matter politically what anyone thinks. They want to confirm him. That's what they want to do. That's That's okay. But I think it would be interesting to look at the best and brightest minds in our country that are already SCOTUSes and ask them, are they beyond reproach? You know, as they used to say, Caesar's wife has to be beyond reproach. Right. So, or or conversely, like he is without sin, cast the first stone. Right. Someone famous said that. Right. So, <laughs> so I think, I just don't think it's applicable 35 years later, um, because he obviously, as a kid and he was drunk, had maybe not so great intention, mm-hmm. but he was a kid. Right. He's not an adult. He was, you know, and he was drunk. I mean, I and, and again, Colin, I am not in favor of this man because I I don't think he's been honest about other things. But I definitely don't. I think we have to sit in our own individual integrity. You know, like stop looking at everything like it's a target or it's a fight or it's a battle because right because we well that that. Yeah, Jackie, that unfortunately is how people look at this kind of stuff. Well, thanks for being our first caller. You were a great first caller. Uh, and uh, I certainly I share some of your thoughts about all this, although I still haven't really decided exactly where I come down on this. I mean, I am actually kind of interested to hear moral discussion going on in the community and see what the hearings are like. Anyway, here's Bill in New Haven. Hi, Bill. Hey, what's up? Well, I don't know. You tell me. I was thinking that the answers to this, like most things, are in baseball. <laughs> okay. Um, so when you watch a close play at the plate, uh, are you just going to conclude either our guy made it or he got robbed, or are you going to be able to say, well, they made a great play, our guy's out? And that's the kind of uh, behavior I try and model for the kids when we watch sports. Right. I don't know. I, I, I'm I sad that you brought this up because I still have PTSD from yesterday's uh, uh, call in the Packers-Vikings uh, game where – well, I'm Matthews. a Bills fan, so oh, you know, okay. whatever. Okay, you get your own problems, then you get your own sorrows. But well, I, so here's so first of all, one of the odd things about this, of course, is that you know, supposedly, many of those kinds of questions in sports have been knocked out by video review, uh, which was interesting because last week we were talking about Serena Williams, you know, and the notion really that there are fewer things to have arguments about because so many things are now reviewable and that ultimately you can get an answer. Although as you probably know, it sounds like you are a baseball fan. I mean, there was a play this weekend where a ball appeared to bounce up from the Green Monster in Fenway and was still, after lots of video review, judged to be not a home run, that it somehow or other hit a line and bounced up from it instead of bouncing down. So that we still well, wind up having— will never go away. Yeah. I think in the era of fake news, you have some people watching the replay and still concluding that the guy who's safe is not safe because— Team affiliation. I think the way the sports thing breaks down, I mean, we've got two problems here, as I said before. Did this thing happen? So that's kind of a sports question, except that there's just, you know, 35 years ago, three people in the room. It's going to be very hard to figure out what happened. Uh, And and then the question is, the next question is, what does it mean if it did happen? And and I I think I get what you're saying, which is sometimes, to use another sports cliche, sometimes you tip your your cap to the other guy. You tip your cap to the other team. You just 
just say, all right, you know, you did, you know, you beat us. We weren't good enough, whatever. I'm not I, I'm not sure anybody's going to do that. Politics doesn't have a big record of doing that kind of thing, you know, and particularly now we're so tribalized, you know, we're, we're so polarized. Well, I think we could let the handle this and it's not just one issue, uh, you know, with the confirmation. It's, there's so there's so much other information that this is just one part of a, of a larger picture. Yeah, um, maybe we need umps. You know, maybe we need not that it works flawlessly or stainlessly in sports, but maybe in addition to say the Supreme Court, we need national umps. You know, who would just would, who would just say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it ain't nothing until I call it. This is what I'm calling it. Uh, all right. So uh, we're going to go back to the phones here. Uh, 860-275-7266. Although I will say the lines are kind of full at the moment. Maybe you should just wait a second and I can talk to some of these people. Let's start with Margaret in Cromwell. Hi, Margaret. You're on the air. Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you for talking with me. I just have a different slant on this. Um, I, I don't really know if the lady involved was as innocent as she's putting out to be. Uh, I looked at the news early this morning, and on the net it showed that she'd been asked quite a few questions, and some of them she flatly said she couldn't remember. And my other thought is if she didn't want to go with them, why did she not start yelling when they first grabbed her hand when they were amongst a lot of other people at this party? Also, they were all underage. They probably should not have been drinking, but uh, coming from where I came, we all drank underage also. But I just don't think that possibly all the blame is on Mr. Kavanaugh. I think possibly in the beginning, before it got too serious, she might have been a bit consensual to this. Well, I mean, now you're imputing. I mean, nobody is claiming that, right? There are four people. There are three people who actually know something about this. None of them are claiming that that it was someone. I mean, Kavanaugh is basically saying this never happened. The the other guy, Mr. Judge, I believe his name is. He would have been the you know second guy to jump on the bed. He's not saying that either. N- nobody is saying this was essentially a consensual encounter. I think also uh, so far anyway, uh, she uh, that's Christine Blasey Ford through her lawyer has maintained that she had. Had not been drinking. She had had a beer, but that these guys were stumbling drunk, as uh, she keep, they keep putting it, and that they were part of a very specific prep school culture where the guys got drunk a lot. Um, so I mean, I understand that, yeah. but my 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 thought still is, if she was had only had one beer, why did she even put herself in a position? where this guy's grabbed her, why didn't she start yelling immediately until before they got her upstairs? Well, if you if you weren't there, you don't know. You, you don't know even, I mean, I think she wasn't she 15 at the time this was happening. She may, she may not have had any idea what was unfolding until she realized what a dangerous situation she was in. I think it's, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. It seems to me that maybe we should follow the advice of Kellyanne Conway of all people, uh, who said this woman should not be attacked, this woman should not be blamed for what happened. I mean, it's important to get to the bottom of this, maybe important to ultimately have hearings and do as much fact-finding as you can. But sort of shaming this woman who, they're just, I don't know, Margaret, I just don't see any real basis uh, for going there. And as I say, even the two people who would be, you know, accused of having real culpability in this, Brett Kavanaugh and, and Mark Judge, is that his name? I don't have it in front of me. Um, I mean, they're not saying that. They're, they're not saying anything like that, that the, she was compliant, she was willing, she was as drunk as we were. They're, nobody's saying that. So it seems to me that, 
in the absence of anybody suggesting such a thing and in the uh, presence of such sages of advice as might come from Kellyanne Conway that we should probably, you know, agree to follow her, her advice here. I mean, who has ever gone wrong following the advice of Kellyanne Conway? Her words are, this woman should not be insulted and she should not be ignored. Um, and then she said, I think the Senate is headed towards a reasonable, reasonable approach, allowing this woman to be heard in sworn testimony, allowing Judge Kavanaugh to be heard in sworn testimony, uh, et cetera. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't see any reason to go there. All right, let's take a break. And then we got Ruth. We got Aaron. Boy, it sounds like the Bible. Uh, we got Ruth. We got Aaron. Mary Beth. There's no Mary Beth in the Bible, is there? Uh, Candida. OK, we're veering way away from the Bible. Uh, and Edith. All right. Thanks for calling. We're going to get to you after this. You gotta get up and move on Tell me how the hell can you talk? How can you talk? Cause until you walk where I walk It's just all talk Till it happens to you You don't know All right, we're back. And let me just uh, quickly uh, refresh your memory about what it is that I'm attempting to do here today, which is, yes, I mean, to some degree or other, we're inevitably going to get bogged down in the specifics of the Kavanaugh case. But what I'm really asking, I'm hoping that some people can get to this a little bit, is do we really have enough collective moral understanding left in this country so that we're able to talk about these things without them boiling down to partisan questions? You know, is, is there enough that we agree on from both sides that ultimately if we felt as though we were fairly certain of the facts of a case like this one, that we could be comfortable with each other and making a collective moral judgment about it? Or did we break that process at some point? Maybe it never existed. Maybe there was never moral consensus. But did we, and if so, I would assign blame to both sides. Democrats have done this. Uh, Republicans have done this. There isn't you know, a blameless party unless it's all the people who just stay out of politics. Uh, and man, no, no, you, you guys don't get a pass. You <laughs> You have to participate or it gets as bad as it is right now. All right. So 860-2757-266, except the lines are kind of full right now. Ah, I just dropped the mouse. Uh, not an actual, I mean, the computer mouse. We don't actually keep a live mouse in the studio, though I think there there is one in the building right now, right? We're, we're told anyway. There's been a mouse alert, a gray alert in the building. Uh, all right. Here's uh, Edith from Canton. Hi, Edith. You're on the air. Yes. Hi. Um, I really believe that this might be the time to bring morals back to the thinking of people as they go to the polls to elect candidates. We don't always know this kind of last-minute allegation uh, against the um, against the judge, but it seems to me had more thought been given to morals, we might not have the leader that we have today. True. But uh, uh, would you would you, would you yeah. say that, uh, I mean, one, one of the things that I've been suggesting as I discuss this on social media is our morals didn't break down in 2015, right? Or 2016. Exactly. They broke down and they be, I mean, there's a whole chain of events with offenses on both sides of the political spectrum that led up to our ability to elect someone as morally compromised as Donald Trump pretty obviously was. Exactly. All right. So what did you do with the morals? Do you have them in your garage? Where are the morals, Edith? We need them back now. Well, um, I think 
there might be uh, people out there with them who maybe it's time to teach them to your children yeah. uh, a little more and not take these uh, for granted and for um, the general public to just think about this case. It happened many years ago. Uh, I, for one, feel that it should be investigated uh, to the fullest for whatever reason. He has proven himself to be a fine judge Mm -hmm. with a good reputation and, and, and what happened when he was 15, unfortunately, did happen. But the Me Too movement has prompted many women to speak out who have carried this burden forever exactly and and now perhaps feel somewhat a relief yes and obviously this woman has you know whatever the story is she's been carrying it around for a long time all right so whoever has the morals bring them back okay i hate it when people borrow things and then you know bring them back also, if you have like a pair of red Via tennis sneakers, those are mine too. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. And uh, oh, so I'm supposed to wait for her because she needs to pull over to the side of the road. All right. So I'm going to go down the line here to Mary Beth. Hi, Mary Beth. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was going to say that this is uh, an important testimony, I feel, because it reflects his character. Yes, he was 17. Yes, she was 15. But alcohol is kind of a truth serum. And uh, for someone who is going to be making uh, key judgments on possibly overturning Roe v. Wade and his comment about how uh, he thought birth control pills were abortion-inducing uh, pills. That ignorance and that anti-woman sentiment, I think, is very important to know about and, and not something uh, we need in a Supreme Court justice. Let me ask you a question. And this isn't sort mm-hmm. of um, both sidesism so or whataboutism, but just sort of like, you know, whether we've all maybe kind of collaborated on this kind of thing. So when this happened... Uh, 82-ish, I guess, would have been within Mm -hmm. four years of the time that Juanita Broderick claims that Bill Clinton raped her. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think that we kind of skated past something like that? You know, in other words... um, Yes. Yeah. So it's like it's like all of us kind of collaborated. And the the Anita Hill um, testimony against Clarence Thomas. Uh, So many of these things have been brushed aside. The Old Boys Network has has uh, diminished women's voices forever. Right. And the Me well, Too movement has finally brought brought things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think her testimony is important. Yes, she was 15. Yes, she was. Um, but, but she's brought it out. Um, she brought this up in therapy five years ago. So this wasn't something that just happened. Right. Um, um, all right. So, well, uh, Mary Beth, thank you so much for your call. Uh, what's the, uh, so, uh, Candida or Candida, can I go to her yet? She needed to pull over. I don't want to talk to anybody who's like careering down the road. I don't want that on my, I, I, we already have enough ways in which we're compromised right now. All right. So, um, we'll find out about that. I'm not going to go to her yet. I'm going to go to Aaron in Manchester. Hi, Aaron. You're on the air. Ahoy and aloha. What's going on? (laughs) You're the first person ever to say that uh, when coming on this show. (laughs) One of my catchphrases. Um, yes. 
I've been uh, listening, and I'd love to divulge a little bit. But it appears that when it comes to morality, uh, whoever is the dominating class, be it uh, religious, racial, however, whatever happens, uh, whoever seems to be domineering seems to take hold of the narrative. Mm-hmm. And um, I've noticed that sometimes it usually sways in favor of religion. Then if going, uh, if going down that line, it, you will uh, head into maybe racial territory. But I've noticed that there's a very big trend lately of just kind of doing away with, you know, whatever reason, whatever sense, whatever rhyme, whatever cadence there is to a certain, uh, a certain narrative from somebody else. But if there's a general consensus on what the narrative should be, that's usually overtaken by whoever's domineering. And, uh, yeah, that could even be uh, uh, someone who's older as well. Not to knock anyone who's older, but I've noticed in my lifetime, I'm 25, and uh, a lot of, there's a lot of stories being told. And a lot of the time, they will be told from the perspective of whoever is higher in control, higher in demand and uh, just higher in status overall. Right. So I I think the point that you're making is really a good one, which is that, you know, rather than having some kind of, once again, sort of Kantian a priori moral morality that we could identify and follow, instead, a lot of it gets spelled out in social codes and power codes. I mean, that's basically what Aaron's saying, right? If you have enough power, you can decide what the morality is and you can twist morality around so you get the outcome you want from any moral dilemma. I I will quickly say, and I didn't say this at the beginning, I'm going to say this, I'm going to take Candida's uh, phone call, and then we're going to go to a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to do more phone calls. But what I wanted to say is, part of this, if in fact our, our ability to make moral choices and moral decisions that are not tinctured by our secondary motives, political motives, or tertiary motives, um, if we've diminished that capacity, one of the ways that our capacity got diminished was in the complete failing or near complete failing of the religious establishment, right? So we went through the 80s and 90s with the rise of the moral majority, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then it turned out Jimmy Swagger, Jim Baker, Ted Haggard, you know, as the years went by, it just turned out some of the people who were leading these charges were completely incapacitated morally. And then the other group of people leading moral charges were the leaders of the Catholic Church. And that has been, you know, probably the worst moral and spiritual bloodbath. I mean, failure, disaster, debacle, fiasco, those don't even cover it. The Catholic Church completely failed morally. Uh, and so, you, so you've got this sector of society where in the past we might have looked for answers. But first of all, a lot of it politicized itself. So it couldn't really be trusted to reason morally or theologically. And then a lot of it just at the personal level, you know, at the structural level, just turned out to be, you know, if, if anything— not even average, but turned out to be kind of below average morally. So, yeah, that's part of this. This Part of this is that one of the places that should have been a lighthouse uh, dimmed its light considerably uh, over the last 30 or 40 years. All right. Now we're ready for Candida. She's in a safe place uh, on a shoulder or in a a parking uh, lot, and she's ready to talk. Hi. Am I saying your name right? Yeah. Candida. Okay. Okay. Candida. Okay. Got it. All right. So what's on your mind? 
So, so I mean, I, I um, as I'm listening to to the people expressing their opinion, I get more and more um, anxious about talking to you. To the point that I decided to pull over and be late for a meeting that I have wow. in a few minutes because this is important. You know, the problem that I'm having with this conversation is that uh, when you put things under the label of moral or morality, it just gets people immediately on a defensive mode because everybody has a different interpretation of what, you know, morals are and and based on their religious beliefs and their upbringing and, and those kinds of things. And so... So, you know, I have five daughters and five granddaughters, and I have five sisters. So I'm looking at this from a human point of view. Uh, you know, if it were your daughter, if this woman were your daughter, would you be thinking about it differently? You know, would it hit you from a different angle? Would you would you believe what this woman is saying? And, you know, what makes me um, upset is that Women can come forward when they feel that they're ready to come forward or to prevent something from happening, such as appointing a man who may not be the best person to be uh, in the highest court of the land, making decisions that are life or death decisions in in many ways. Uh, So she decides to put herself in the line of danger and put herself out there to prevent something like that from happening. And nobody believes her, or people are questioning. Or the first caller, for example, said, you know, if, if he had done this to other women, so he would have had to do this to three or four or ten other women in order for it to be real or to be truth. And just the fact that the man denies it is enough for, you know, for people to say, well, you know, he's denying it, and so therefore may not be true. So I think that we need to begin to think, if it happened to me, if it happened to my daughter, if it happened to my sister, to my mother, would I think differently about this? What, what if it happened? Okay, so what? Let's turn it around. I See, I actually think this is not a good way to think a reason about these things, but uh, and I'll, I'll try to explain why. What if, if Brett Kavanaugh were your son, and he went to you, and you, he'd been your son his entire life, obviously, that's the way sons work, uh, and, he, and you felt you knew him pretty well, and he said, Mom, this just isn't true. I didn't do that thing. This woman is, for whatever reason, making up a story. Uh, you've got to believe me. Would you believe your son? I would I would like to see this, you know, if, if he's saying that when there's proof that it's not true. If the woman is putting herself on the line and she's saying that it happened, then let's do an investigation. Right, you know, but, let, let me talk to the woman. I mean, I don't care that if my, if my son commits I don't have sons, but if a son of mine or a brother of mine committed a crime of this nature mm-hmm. where a woman is going to be affected and traumatized for the rest of her life, I want to know whether it's true. And if it is true, he's going to have to pay for his for his crime. Right. I, I'm I'm yeah. And I don't think that we do. I don't think that we 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 think in those terms. You know, we try. If he's my son, I'm going to protect him. I may not believe immediately that is. You know, I need to know. Right. Well, but all I'm saying is if you're going to sort of say, what if it was your daughter? Then you also have to say, what if, what if it is your son? I generally don't like to re- reason morally. Uh, Candida, by the way, I'm going to put you on hold. I want you to get to your meeting. I'm worried about you being late for your meeting. you got 14 minutes. Don't speed. All right. Uh, it's better to be late. So I just decided her meeting was at two. Um, so, um, no, I mean, this is sort of the Michael Dukakis problem, right? So Bernard Shaw asked Michael Dukakis this really stupid question uh, in that 1988 debate. 
is 88, 88 debate. Uh, he says, you know, what if uh, your wife Kitty were, you know, raped and murdered by horrible people? Would you, what would you favor being done? Would you favor the death penalty? And the correct answer to that from Dukakis, which he fortunately did not give, is I would be crazy in that situation. I would be out of my mind. I would not be thinking clearly. So you don't want to hand justice to me at that moment. You don't want to hand justice to the person who's the most viscerally affected by a crime. You want to have a society that determines justice. You want to have a society which, uh, you know, steps as far away from those kinds of personal connections uh, without forsaking empathy and tries to arrive at a notion of justice. And, and a little bit of that sort of what if it was your daughter, what if it was your son, it's inviting a visceral connection that I'm not sure is an entirely helpful way to make that decision. All right. We have to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got lots of phone calls and we're going to get some, maybe all of them on the air. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan, with help from me, Kyone Wolf. The part of Bill Curry was played by Linda Tripp. On tomorrow's show, revisit our conversation about historical deletion. And now, back to Colin. Could I just say one thing about our uh, show tomorrow about historical deletion? So this is a show that we did a few years ago. Uh, we're putting it on the air tomorrow because we need to have some meetings about shows that we're doing in the future. Um, so we're putting on a show about history. So it was actually produced at a time when Where We Live and The Colin McEnroe Show kind of shared a group of producers. Uh, so it was actually produced by Lydia Brown, who's now, of course, a producer for Where We Live, senior producer for Where We Live. And so today, as we were getting ready to do this rerun and I needed to do a new promo for it, I asked Lydia if she remembered anything about it. And it turned out she didn't, which I think is really appropriate for a show about historic, historical deletion. But anyway, it's about how societies deal with uncomfortable facts in their history and how some of them simply make them go away. You know, just pretend that person never existed, all that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, anyway, um, back to the phones. And here is Pete in Wallingford. Hi, Pete. You're on the air. Hi. Thank you for having me. Sure. Um, I just uh, was thinking that uh, morality didn't really go anywhere. Uh, I, I don't I don't believe it's anything that is solid at all. It's the same as what colors the dress. If you believe that it's a baby, uh, you want to fight abortion rights tooth and nail for moral reasons. If you believe it's a zygote, you really want to fight for women's reproductive rights. It's, it's just so fluid. Uh, and the Kavanaugh thing, honestly, I wasn't there. I don't know. I, I can't opine either way. Right. Well, so, but I think you just said something that was kind of important, which is uh, one thing that I do think is helpful and healing for our society is to at least hear other people talk about why they think what they think. I mean, uh, you know, for example, I, you know, just the way that I've kind of grown up and who I've become, uh, I'm a pro-choice person. I'm going to vote for pro-choice candidates. I'm going to hope we get pro-choice judges. But there are an awful lot of people and they're not all wicked, horrible people who are anti-reproductive choice, you know, and and they do 
do believe that it's a baby or something close to a baby. And so they do believe that it's murder or something akin to murder. And it's important to hear them out occasionally because otherwise you just wind up assuming that you have the superior moral position, you know, and these other people are, you know, morons or misguided or, you know, on a power trip or something like that. And sometimes I agree with you 100 percent. I I personally I don't know if it's a baby or a zygote. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying just for that one example, it's what colors the dress. We And if you know what color the dress is and you believe that that's the moral answer, you are going to fight tooth and nail, even if the other person believes it is the other color and it is also for moral reasons. All right. Well, no, that is a moral question, the color of the dress. I mean, come on now. Gold. <laughs> I've actually forgotten what color I thought the dress was. <laughs> I'd like to get into a really good fight about what color the dress is, but I have literally forgotten what position I had on that. And then also, what was the, what were the two words? I, I can't even remember the two words we were fighting. Laurel and Yanny. Thank you so much, Kyone Wolf. <laughs> I've also forgotten. I'd also forgotten those. Two. And I also don't remember whether I thought it was Laurel or Yanny. I think I might have thought it was Laurel. But anyway, I would, I would be prepared to conduct a fatwa against who, whatever the people are who think whatever it is that I didn't think. Uh, all right, here's John from Woodstock. Hi, John. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Um, so while I've been on hold, you, you brought up a lot of the points that I was going to bring up. I, I have two kids in high school, and I've kind of tried to put myself on both sides of this, and I think it gets complicated. But one thing is, if my son had done something like this, and the one thing I've always told him is you own your mistakes. You tell people, you know, if, if you did the bad thing, you know, um, you own it. And that's, that's the, the thing about this. If he really did this, you know, how he, to me, how he responds to this charge is, is almost more important than the charge itself. And if he did not do it, what, what is he, what is he, how does he take, what's his take on it? Because, you know, I'll come back to what I always do. When people are in leadership positions, I like to see that they have compassion, intelligence, and courage. And so this is a test for him. Show me that I'm wrong about you and, you know, about, about, about Kavanaugh. And, and, and how is he going to respond to this? I think that's really important. I think you're bringing up a really interesting thing. I want to make sure that I understand what you're saying. So what you're saying is that ideally at some point, because we already know that he's going to say, because he's already said it, he doesn't, this doesn't happen, it's just, it just not him, it just didn't happen. So you, what you're suggesting is that somebody, let's say Dick Blumenthal, needs to say to him, I, I could do my Dick Blumenthal impersonation, but I'm not because this is a serious moral moment we're at. Um, he's to say, all right, so let's grant your premise for a moment that you didn't do it. But here's this woman who clearly is does not, not appear to be a cynical person or, or, or well, anyway, what you want him to ask, somebody to ask is, what do you think is happening here then? What do you think about this woman? Who is bringing this up? You're, is that the question that you'd like well, to hear him answer? Yeah, I, I'd like to hear him answer that. Exactly. But, I mean, I almost want to know if he had done it, you know, what – does that disqualify him? Because I'm not sure that it does. You know, I, I, think that, I think that we need to ask that question. But, but he, needs to, he needs to have the same sort of soul-searching that everyone else is having, you know, certainly on, on your show today. And that will, will go a long way to, for me as to what I think about him and whether he's fit for it. I doubt he's going to be able to you know, come up with that, but let's see. 
Right. Uh, I think this is this is an interesting time. So you're asking. I want to make sure that I understand your second question. The second question is: if you did, if you had done it, what would you say right now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I bet it's going to be hard to get him to answer that question. But I would agree with you that that's an interesting question um, that, you know, and if he were to say, for example, if I had done it, what I would say to you now was that that was a terrible, terrible thing to do to anybody. And and that it is nearly unforgivable. Uh, uh, but I, I would still hope if I had done it, which I didn't, <laughs> I would still hope that somehow or other you would see this evolution that has taken place. I certainly am not that person. Now I haven't been anything like that person in 30 years. You know, please see that about and, me. And, and uh, Colin, I think it's important because we're not hiring, you know, a manager of a grocery store or the building inspector for Hartford. We're hiring somebody on the Supreme Court. Right. And we need to understand how he how his brain will work. On, on really tough decisions about what our society is about, you know, what, what we stand for, where we're at right now. Right. Although I am actually in favor of a heavy moral interrogation of grocery store managers because <laughs> uh, they can affect our lives maybe even more directly than many Supreme Court justices. After all, there's nine Supreme Court justices. But the guy who's running the Shaws, you know, he's got a lot of power. Of course, there are a lot of different grocery stores. All right. Analogy breaks down. I don't think I could take another call. And so I'm very sorry. I would like to apologize to Kevin and Sharon and Noel and Craig and anybody else that I need to apologize to. But I do want to thank everybody. I, you know, this went pretty well, I thought. You know, <laughs> This is so different from social media. Social, social media is so horrible. Everybody just sort of digs in, you know, and then just fires their crossbows back and forth across the comment threads. Whereas I thought people on this show, you know, people are using their minds. That's good. That's a public radio thing, right? You, losing your, using your minds so you don't lose your minds. Uh, thanks also to uh, Carlos Mejia, who I think might have been sitting in here tweeting all this. And it's Phil. Phil, our intern, it's his first day. And he's actually leaving now. He doesn't want to do this anymore. <laughs>